Hey everybody, welcome to the Post Political Podcast. I'm the host, Derek Britton, and I have an incredible guest tonight, one of my good friends, Sasha Cohen. But before that, let's get to the promos. We'll start off with the Vermin Supreme Institute. Our purpose is to inspire social evolution through the disruption of authoritarianism, to promote compassionate activism, and to spread the knowledge of redacted history. Through the use of humor, direct action, and mutual aid, we uplift the disaffected, the disenfranchised, and the disempowered. So the Love and Action fundraiser again um, wrapped up. We were able to successfully deliver full sets of winter survival gear to 75 unhomed individuals in the Reno, Nevada camps. And then also they were handed out uh, afterwards at the, so there was a little bit left and they handed them out at the Fallon Soup Kitchen. So thank you everyone who donated and helped. Uh, that was a great effort. Uh, next up, we have Brewed Coffee. So if you're in Lexington, Kentucky, check out Brewed Coffee and Beer Drinkery. Uh, you can also check out my affiliate link in the comments uh, to buy all sorts of stuff, mug shirts, hats. And lastly, we have the two promos that are on the Post Political Podcast shop. The first is the BK, Be Gay Do Crime um, promo that we're doing with the Trans Resource Network Louisiana. So if you go to the shop and buy any one of these, you know, the two hats or the shirt, uh, 100% of the proceeds go to uh, the Trans Resource Network Louisiana. And if you want, you can also donate directly with the PayPal link. And lastly, ooh, we have this one, the Bridge Kids Give Back fundraiser. So um, again, this is a mutual aid group out of the Massachusetts area. Uh, if you would like, you can donate directly at the PayPal link at the bottom, or you can buy one of these totes or shirts. And all the proceeds will go to Bridge Kids Give Back. Uh, Bridge Kids Give Back is a uh, group committed to feeding clothing and uplifting the homeless and unhoused communities in the Massachusetts area. So without further ado, Let's bring in Sasha Cohen. So Sasha is running for uh, the DeKalb City Clerk uh, position in DeKalb, uh, Illinois. And I am excited to bring him on. He's also the political director for the Vermin Supreme Institute. And we'll be talking a little bit about that as well. How's it hey, going? Derek. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for having me on. It's It's been a little while. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, It's been busy having the, uh, the little one running around has been uh, eating up a lot of my time and uh, working on... Ashley Shades campaign and stuff, so it's been uh, a little bit before we've uh, since we've connected for a while. So I'm I'm excited just to talk with you for a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's been too long, um, and things have been really busy on my end too. I mean, um, this run for city clerk started almost immediately after the uh, the November elections. I, I ran for county board, which yep. you pitched in on quite a bit. You designed some bang and lit for, and uh, we didn't get the result we wanted there. But I turned around and immediately started um, petitioning to yep. get on the ballot for DeKalb City Clerk. I did things a little differently this time. I was very quiet in the beginning. Yep. Um, I built some bridges with the local Democratic Party, actually. And their, their former chair, Jim Lubke, carried petitions for me. Oh, wow. As did, he collected 120 signatures. That's awesome. I, I was I was floored, um, and then on top of that, the one of the mayoral candidates, a couple of the school board candidates, an alderman candidate, they all carried petitions for me, along with um, some other local friends, and we didn't tell anybody what we were doing. I just very quietly got the petitions done, and then ten minutes before the filing deadline, I went into the city clerk's office and I filed my paperwork. And nobody else had filed. Nice. Oh. 
Yeah, that's oh. awesome. And that, you know, I, I think one of the big, so two of the big things I want to highlight to folks, um, just in case, you know, again, this is, you know, this show is a lot of different third parties. Uh, there's libertarians and Dem Sox and People's Party and all sorts of folks who uh, tune into the show. You know, uh, Sasha did a couple of things that I think is very important to highlight to, to other local candidates who want to run. He ran a race and lost immediately after ran another race. His name was already, you know, sort of out there in that first race. And he built upon that. And it, it is going to take a, you know, we, we're not backed by hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for these races. No. So, like, it's going to take those couple of races for you to get your name out there in the local uh, towns and, and cities and stuff. And the second big thing he did is you went out and got, you know, uh, formed coalitions with folks that, you know, typically might not have formed coalitions in the past with a libertarian candidate. Yes. And that's, in my opinion, that's huge. Not only do you get um, a little bit of osmosis, you know, learning from uh, someone in the Democratic Party or someone in, you know, another third party or whatever, but you're also building bridges for, you know, when you get elected. And I'm saying when, because I believe in you a ton on this, and I, I really feel like you're going to get elected Thank on you. this. Um, you, you're going to need those, you know, kind of uh, relationships to build on things that you want to do in the future. So, no, I, I think this is uh, two huge things that I think other people should be able to pull from to uh, be successful in local races. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was really interesting um, forging those connections because, you know, I ran a, a very clean and very friendly race um, back in back in 2020. I liked my opponent. I actually didn't have all too many issues with how she'd been serving. I just felt that it was important that the voters had more than one choice on the ballot. Yep. And so having come off a campaign where they'd gotten to see how willing I was to engage in respectful dialogue and how much we all wanted the same thing, it was, it was sort of a natural next step. Um, I also really got to have some more extended conversations with folks about this idea that there's more than one kind of libertarian. Yep. And the libertarian um, that they had in their mind wasn't the libertarian that I was. And yep. they, they very much seemed to like that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I uh, had last week a uh, the director of communications for the Daily Coast, and uh, she is a progressive Democrat. And in the pre-show, we talked a little bit about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's this is kind of my brand of libertarianism, how I apply the principles to what I believe. And um, she was, you know, kind of saying the same thing. Oh, this is kind of a different brand of, of libertarian than I've heard of in the past. And uh, luckily for her, for me, she had some exposure to the Feminist for Liberty group and a lot of good folks uh, previously that she's had interactions with. But not everyone's interactions first uh, with a libertarian or that kind or, yeah. or uh, welcoming. So that's that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I wanted to uh, ask, and this is kind of not campaign related, but I feel like it is, it, you know, how how did you end up getting to a third party? You know, it, it takes a little bit of time, I feel like, for most folks to end up there. And I, I don't I, I know some of your story and I think it's extremely interesting. So I, I'd love to uh, hear it on the show and kind of uh, let folks know kind of your your route to get here. So I was I was always philosophically a libertarian, um, definitely more of the small government variety than yep. the than the anarchist variety. But that was that was always where I stood politically. And then I got more involved first with single issue advocacy. I was involved with the National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws. Yep. I went to some Students for Sensible Drug Policy events and did, did some single-issue work until I got into electoralism 
around 2019 when I moved to Iowa, uplifted my life, and went to work on Andrew Yang's campaign for president. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting there because I met other libertarian staffers that were that were on his campaign because he'd sort of pulled in this really odd coalition of disaffected Republicans, libertarians that wanted to glom onto a major party, yep. moderate Dems, progressive Dems, and sort of everything in between. And it was really amazing because we'd sit in our office and yell at each other about politics until somebody picked up the phone for phone banking. And then it was, hi there, this is Sasha from Andrew Yang's <laughs> campaign for president. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time on Yang. I learned so much about the effective strategies of campaigning, the effective tools, how to tailor messaging to different individuals, how to read data to yeah. guess who the individual you're about to speak to is going to be, what they're going to prioritize, what they're going to care about, what issues to raise. And then as the Yang campaign ended and we came in sixth place and ultimately dropped out the following week, I saw how the DNC was moving. I yep. saw what happened in South Carolina with Steyer and Klobuchar and Pete all uh, taking their bows and endorsing Joe. Yep. And I realized that there was no path to liberty uh, left in the Democratic Party. You know, I, I feel like I'd always sort of known that, but it made it apparent in a way that nobody could ignore. So. Right. That was when I sent a Facebook message to Vermin Supreme. Uh, you know, I had met him in 2016 while protesting at the RNC in Cleveland. Yep. He led a teach-in at the protest encampment where all of the protesters were, uh, were camped out for the weekend. And we got to speak and hang out for a little bit. And that really, um, that really sort of shaped me seeing that that kind of activist out in the streets. You know, I got to march with him through the streets of Cleveland for most of that day. And so when I saw that he was running in the Libertarian Party, I tracked him down on Facebook. I sent his personal account a message saying, Hi, Vermin. I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Sasha and we met, you know, these years ago and whatever. And he responded by immediately adding me to a group chat with Desiree Lindsay, his campaign manager, and saying, hey, this is Sasha. I met him in, in Cleveland, and he'd like to help. And from there, I was off to the races. I mean, uh, three weeks later, I went to the Illinois State Convention, was made a National Party delegate for, uh, for convention last year, and I just got deeper and deeper in my involvement within the LP from being involved on Berman's campaign. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, you know, that's uh, a little bit how I, you know, I kind of found my way that way. I was always kind of, uh, you know, from the outside looking in and uh, yeah. Desiree Berman. And then I also, at the same exact time, uh, joined with Caitlin and Spike. Uh, and that kind of sucked me right in. And it was, yeah, uh, yeah it's it, right around the same time frame. It, it's funny. Um, I was a little bit after, I feel like. But yeah, that's that's great. Um, and no, I, I think it's, it's something... You know, there's a lot of great things I feel like that even you did there to help uh, form you as a political advisor and, and uh, even, you know, an analyst as well. And, and really trying to understand how some of the major parties do it um, to, you know, help teach some of the folks. And I've seen it firsthand, you know, uh, working on uh, Ian Peake's campaign and a few others that we worked on together uh, through the Roman Supreme Institute. 
Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's, it's incredible being able to gain some of that experience and bring it to a third party to uh, help kind of uh, pump up, you know, and, and kind of improve the, the, um, the work done behind the scenes. Absolutely. I personally, I think that anybody who wants to work long-term in libertarian campaigns should find one Democrat or one Republican that they don't absolutely hate and yep. go and work for them for a couple months to learn some of the tools and tricks. Um, it's just, it's incomparable. The amount of knowledge you get from working around people who have been full-time politicos since the day they got out of college. Right. And I still have those people in my network. You know, when, um, when we were starting to do delegate outreach in anticipation of the national convention, I called a friend who works in campaign data analytics and yeah. said, I need help sourcing phone numbers and then segmenting for targeting. And he immediately said, great, uh, here's the company to use. Here's what it's going to cost you. Here's an introduction. And just having those connections has been yeah. invaluable. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. it like, uh, you know, I've seen that, that stuff play out uh, working with you on stuff and it's, it's been wonderful. I think there's, there's a lot of uh, benefits there to, uh, be had like you said kind of many folks should be able to uh go and do this and learn uh and then bring that knowledge you know learn that learn through osmosis and bring that knowledge back to uh whatever third party you're you know part of and, and trying to run yeah. candidates with um, absolutely well, that's wonderful great that's that's it, like i said i've seen it play out a little bit working in the vermin supreme institute with you on the disruptive boat stuff and uh it's been really really impressive Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how powerful some of the tools that are accessible to us are. I mean, on Ian Peake's campaign specifically, one of the things that I was able to do was segment a list of people in the district that owned horses right. so that Vermin could do a little bit of phone banking and talk to the people who would be most likely to get a kick out of that. Um, right. Just little things in terms of effective targeting can go such a long way in, in increasing somebody's success. And I think that the more people learn those tools, they learn those tricks, and they learn which vendors to go through, the easier of a time we'll all have uh, getting all the different third-party and independent candidates closer to viability. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I think that's um, that's something that we should all really you know root for, especially it's one of the reasons this podcast exists is to form those, those groups and coalitions and stuff and try and work together so that uh, we can become extremely viable against uh, some of the major parties with the major funding and all these tools that they've been using uh, that, you know, even just data analytic, having a data analytic person um, that I feel like is the first thing, you know, if I was running a race uh, in the democratic party or the Republican party, that's probably the first person other than your campaign manager you get. So you know what your chances are, who to target all that stuff. And in some yep. you know, of the third party, uh, uh, groups that I've been part of, we haven't had, you know, data analytics. And now I'm starting to see it more and more because I feel like people are starting to learn that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, no, that's great. One of the things I wanted to, uh, I want to loop back to your, uh, your run right now. Um, and I, I kind of want to hear, you know, some of the uh, other uh, groups, I guess, that you reached out to and, and spoke to. Um, and, um, you know, did you get endorsements from other groups locally or, or anything, you know, that, uh, really helped, even if it was just another relationship that really helped uh, kind of boost you and, and uh, reach a different group, I guess, of folks. Yeah. So I, I actually received a couple of pretty cool endorsements this time. Um, JJ Wett, who's a candidate for second award alderman, 
and the former vice chair of the county Democratic Party uh, publicly endorsed me last month. And just about two weeks ago, the DeKalb chapter of the Sunrise Movement endorsed me. Um, for those who don't know, Sunrise is a national organization dedicated to um, advocacy for the passage of the Green New Deal. They were founded in 2017 and from there have grown to, I want to say over a thousand chapters. Um, they're very effective. Yeah. And they have done a lot of really, really cool groundwork. Even when I don't agree with them politically, their organizing model is absolutely phenomenal. And the, the very cool thing about that is, you know, they're really their sole policy point is the Green New Deal. So their endorsement questionnaire, the absolute first question was, do you support the Green New Deal? And, you know, I, I made it very clear that, no, I don't support the Green New Deal. Yep. I am an anarchist. And <laughs> that means I don't support any deal or any new deal of any kind. Um, but I explained that, you know, I'm, I'm a mutualist and I believe in solving the climate crisis through human innovation, through the, you know, the full stop ending of things like fossil fuel subsidies, preferential regulations that benefit corporations, um, and, you know, sort of a, a whole host of, of policies talking about ending U.S. imperialism. The U.S. military is the world's largest polluter. Right. Uh, and so I said that, and then I, I also made sure to emphasize that I care deeply about these issues. Yep. We just have different tracks for how we're going to solve it. And on the local level, we're actually pretty much on the same track. Right. Because what we want to do at the local level is talk about the idea of forming housing co-ops and a co-op grocery in my neighborhood, which is a food desert. Yep. And little things like mutual aid projects for trash pickup. Yeah. We have a new group uh, here in town, or somewhat new group, called the DeKalb Trash Squirrels. They, um, they do a weekly garbage pickup. And out of nowhere, about three weeks ago, the organizer shared um, you know, the events in some of our big Facebook, you know, what's happening in DeKalb, what's yep. actually happening in DeKalb, and uh, I think what's really happening in DeKalb yep. <laughs> Facebook groups. Um, and the group shot up from 40 members to 200 members, and 40 people showed up for a cleanup, and they picked up 600 pounds of trash in a day. That's awesome. It's, it's really incredible um, to see that. And I've been seeing more and more of these little mutual aid projects either pop up in DeKalb or be more visible in DeKalb, or I'm just noticing them because they weren't in my neighborhood and now I'm walking around the community. You know, I was canvassing uh, last weekend with Caitlin and we saw a, a front porch that had a big sign that said, uh, free shoes, uh, free shoe closet. And we, we walked up to the porch and there was a little sign that said, um, you know, come and take what you need. Shoes are organized by size. And if you'd like to donate shoes, the drop-off box is right here. And it was fully accessible on a porch with 40 or 50 pairs of shoes ready that people from the community could come and and access as they needed. Projects like that. Exactly. That's that's what's going to be the future. I mean, you know, I I try – I've been – 
really on this, I feel like, in the last uh, few months, but I, I didn't start this. I learned this from other folks. Uh, I'm sure you and I have had conversations very similar to this. The way that libertarians are going to be seen in their communities, the way that they're going to be uh, proving that these philosophies and theories that we talk about, about, you know, uh, uh, stateless societies with uh, people working in their communities to help each other, we need to start proving that first. Or no one's going to take it seriously. If you stay yes. up there and say mutual aid networks, uh, volunteerism, and uh, going out, and, you know, not doing things that are run by uh, your state or federal governments are going to be the way to fix this, and you've never volunteered for one of those mutual aid programs, you are going to be laughed off the state. Like, you absolutely, you, yeah. If you're running for office and, and and you know pushing volunteerism and mutual aid, you must you better be doing that in your you know in your communities. Yeah, you know, I, I was on an interview earlier this week with um, a Green Party member up in Lake County who has a radio show. And I talked about this idea, you know, there's a really famous, I believe it's a Harry Brown quote about government breaks your legs, gives you a wheelchair, and then says, see, you wouldn't be able to get around without me. Right. And for some just bizarre reason, there is a segment of libertarians that think the solution is to just take away the wheelchair. Well, the leg is still broken. Yep. And until we form alternative methods of getting that person around, simply taking the wheelchair away and saying, you're free now, is cruel. Yep. Doesn't advance our message. Doesn't bring more people that are interested in it. Because that's how we've been viewed for far too long. And so when we put that love first, that compassion first, that mutual aid first, and demonstrate it, not just talk about it, yes. but live it, live it every day that's where we start building alliances yeah and i mean even you know just and i've heard this from a few folks uh, that i've had on and talked about this very thing you know even just the fact that you're volunteering with a group of say like you know the say this trash pickup recently with 40 plus people or so you said yeah 40 people that you're talking to and you're not you know saying hi i'm sasha cohen i'm a libertarian but you're you, say you're there and you're you're going around and helping that group say you you were part of that group that that time yeah. just having those conversations and i'm sure doing activism outside uh, the conversation will eventually get to oh what do you think about this and you yeah. can say well as a libertarian i think this and i think we have the same goals but we have a little bit of different ways of getting here and they might be, oh, I didn't even realize that was a thing, or let me learn more about this, or, oh, just the fact that they could say, oh, I just met a libertarian who is an incredible person, and he wasn't saying uh, we just need to end wel welfare tomorrow and let let volunteerism fill the gap. That, yep. that, means every, that means the world to the party, to you as a candidate, if you wanted to run, to libertarian, you know, to the movement and, and trying to grow and, and gain people and all that. I mean, it just, it's just, it's such a big thing that people don't, um, put into practice, I guess, enough. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing that I've been able to really kind of fall back on when it comes to demonstrating my, my seriousness about, um, you know, equity and justice is I was a union organizer when I was on the Yang campaign. I, I helped get our card count upstarted. I was, somewhat involved in the push for them to come to the bargaining table. I was elected shop steward for the state of Iowa, and I also helped lead a work stoppage um, that occurred the day after the Iowa caucus. So as I've been canvassing, 
I've been noticing there's quite a few houses on my list with uh, Proud Union Home stickers or yard signs or banners hung up. And so I've been making sure to really hit on that. Uh, you know, my name is Sasha Cohen. I am a former union organizer, political activist, and I'm running because the people of this city deserve a voice in city government. And yeah. that has been resonating really well because, you know, most politicians will talk about, oh, union strong, we support union. Very few of them have ever actually had a job that entailed union membership. Right. So, no, that's, that's very true. And it's, and especially for, you know, there, I feel like, again, you know, trying to fight some of the stereotypes, there is a stereotype of just a, a blanket across the board. Libertarians are anti-union. Libertarians are not anti-union. They not completely believe in, you know, your personal freedom to voluntarily form uh, unions and collectively bargain and all of that. And I feel like that gets lost in the minutia of, you know, the government uh, interacting with unions and things like that, that we do try and fight against. Absolutely. And there's... There's a small but loud subset of, of libertarians that will support things like right-to-work laws, which are completely antithetical to libertarian principles right. as, you know, a, a direct intervention between uh, an employer and their employees. Um, you know, it's, it's as nonsensical as a minimum wage hike or extensive OSHA regulations being right. added. It's, it's all in that same camp. But for some reason, when the law hurts the worker instead of protects them, there's this segment that seems to think that's just magically okay then. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You know, I think, um, you know, I think back, and this is, I don't want to go too far off the rails, but I read a very interesting uh, uh, Forbes piece on, uh, it was it was kind of bashing the uh, Bernie voters who said uh, we want things like the kind of the Nordic uh, countries are. And they said, well, you know how they got there. They got there with uh, strong labor unions that were completely voluntary and the government had nothing. The government actually like made it a point to stay completely out of their business. And There's that's still no minimum wages. wage. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. St still no minimum wage in Sweden. Right. Right. Um, and it's, I mean, it's the same thing here on a, on a lesser scale, the, the eight hour workday, the mm -hmm. five day work week, those weren't top down government instituted things. Those were things that union members fought for yep. and died for in cases. You know, you look at the, the coal wars in West Virginia and, and the bravery of union miners standing up for their rights. That is where the progress came from. It, yeah. it is all throughout this country's history. Progress has not come from benevolent government, it has come from power to the people. Yep, and and you you know you bring up a really good point. And immediately, if you look at the timeline, immediately after that is when a lot of anti-union uh, um, laws went into practice. You know, yep. right to work and things like that. Those it maybe not immediately happened after that, but those started with small uh, changes that started right after you know a lot of those things got put in place. Oh yeah, and some of those laws are really strange and really still sitting on our books. You know, we have a law in Illinois um, that prohibits what they call residential picketing. My understanding is it's about a century old anti-union law that was used to stop people from picketing the boss's house. Well, we had um, a police officer nearly kill somebody with a knee on their neck two years ago. Yep. And when the demonstrations got to a point where we weren't being listened to enough, that folks went and had a demonstration outside his house, the organizers were arrested and charged with residential picketing amongst 
three or four other different felonies that were all made up that some of them are still fighting to this day. Right. Which again, yeah. you know, talking to local government and, and getting involved in local government and kind of some of the big impact you could have, if you're you know able to get onto a, a state board to be able to repeal some of those laws, or if that was a, a town, I don't remember if you said it, it was statewide or townwide, but it, I'm not actually sure. Yeah. Either way. I mean, it, you know, getting involved at a local level can make significant impact to people's lives. And, you know, everyone kind of pays attention to these every four year federal, you know, major, major campaigns. Uh, national nationwide campaigns but at the end of the day you know state and local uh, uh laws still need to be pulled off the books um, yes. you know everywhere every state in the country there's laws like this yeah who your mayor is and who's on your city council will have more of a direct impact on your quality of life than who your congressional representative is Correct. your your congressman is one of 435 in a sea of 433 awful people right. at least at any right. given time and so even if you like yours there's not really that much that they can do for you but at the very local level you know our city council is seven members it's seven people plus the mayor there's a city clerk and a city manager and that is pretty much all that drives the direction of the city so it's it's something where people can get involved and they can push and they can actually see tangible results and so yeah. when people tell me, you know, I'm tired of elections, I'm tired of voting, nothing ever changes, I say, cool, even years, skip it. Don't even worry. If you're that mad, don't even bother. But right. show up for the local ones because that's where the real change starts, especially because when the change starts at the local level, it'll frequently expand to the state level, and eventually the federal government might just keep up. I mean, you right. look at the track for the legalization of gay marriage. And it was around 30, 35 states by the time the uh, Supreme Court stepped in. Well, I get the feeling that once we get to that 30, 35 point with cannabis legalization, right. we're going to see the federal change that we need. And it'll be the same thing for the next big issue. You know, it, it all comes bottom up. Right. Yeah, you get you get a lot of uh, public opinion change, and that you know you, yes. you really can drive the national you know voice and and really start to shift things once you have like you said even even uh, at a small breaking it down to a smaller level different cities once you have you know 30, 40 different cities in in a, a big state that all are all pushing for uh, say cannabis legalization or even just the expungement of the records uh, after a state has has legalized it. Um, you know, that will move the entire state to do so. And then eventually, you know, it, things sadly move uh, in some good ways. They move slow and in some bad ways they move slow. Um, yeah. But it is what it is. And this is the, the if you're trying to work within the system to really fix things, this is a huge tool that people just underutilize. Absolutely. So I want to get into, I mean, I know, um, you know, the city clerk isn't uh, much of a policy uh, kind of a position, but there are a couple of things that um, you've spoken about and that you've made uh, points on your uh, campaign that I'd love to hear a little bit more uh, about. Um, and we can dive into them, you know, kind of as you talk about them. Sure. So I've got, um, I've got a couple of key points. The first one is that idea of transparency and accountability. The city clerk is somewhat of a backstop against you know genuine mistakes or in in rarer cases actual malfeasance by the city manager's office they're the last line of defense to affix the city seal to permits to stamp off on you know a lot of outgoing things 
from the city. And so I think it's incredibly important that we have a city manager or a city clerk that is willing to be that last line of defense, willing to stand up to the city manager and committed to making sure that the people of this city know where every penny of their tax dollars are going and that none of it is being given out in a preferential fashion to wealthy developers. You know, we've had a, a sort of longstanding issue of TIF districts being created, uh, you know, tax increment financing, these little special taxing bodies that pop up um, ostensibly for the public good, but more often than not utilized to finance one of the richest men in town building a new luxury housing complex. Right. Um, And even, you know, even beyond the fact that using TIF districts to finance luxury housing is problematic. Um, By my understanding, there's some money missing from that, that the city's unable or unwilling to account for that. You know, it's been claimed that records are lost records that should only be about two or three years old. So when I hopefully succeed and, and take office as the clerk, one of the first things I'd like to push for is uh, a far deeper audit of the TIF funds that's currently than what's currently been done. You know, there's been a little bit of auditing done, but I would like to really, really deep dive it and see, you know, I'm I'm not satisfied by we lost the paperwork and there's 20 grand missing. Yeah. If you lost the paperwork and there's 20 grand missing, you can either find it or find another job. Should be my position for city staff. I mean, even just as a concerned citizen, you should be in that position. I mean, you yeah. know, it's it's something that you know, I feel like one of the big thing, and I feel this is actually one of the big things we have in common between Illinois and um, Massachusetts is there's a lot of things that happen behind closed doors. And that kind yes. of, you know, we almost one-upped each other doing that year after year after year. Uh, oh, yeah. But, you know, it's just there. there's a lot of backdoor deals and things like that that have happened that we'll never know about that are just benefiting uh, um, politicians or wealthy business owners or, or uh, you know, uh, developers that are doing luxury condo, you know, like you were just saying, yeah. that aren't aren't helping the general public, the, the most of the people in the community. And um, more importantly, the folks that are, are usually giving up their hard-earned money and tax money to do so. Absolutely. And the, the just level of disrespect towards residents that comes from some of our elected officials. You know, we, we have an alderman who during a a lengthy discussion about problems with a particular landlord in town um, made the comment basically, well, why don't they just move to other apartments? We've got like a 20% vacancy rate here. And I had to stand up and say, you do realize that you're talking about the one landlord that doesn't run background checks, that will let people move in without deposits. These people have nowhere else to go. And you sit in your nice home in the wealthy part of town and say, well, why don't they just move somewhere else? You know, the the same alderman who, when his car was towed, decided to run into the towing company and wave his alderman badge until they gave him back his his vehicle. You know, we have... They say, you know, it's a, it's a small club and you ain't in it. And it's very much like that here in town. But the, the good news is we have some phenomenal candidates this year. You know, not just myself. I'm, I'm very proud to be part of 
the sort of coalition that's running to make a change. Yep. But in the second ward, we have JJ Wett, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal activist and disability rights advocate. Um, in the fourth ward, we have uh, a challenger to a, to a sitting alderman who I think would be a great breath of fresh air for the city. We have a very wonderful mayoral candidate who, after some lengthy conversations, has started talking about co-ops in her messaging. That's awesome. And that was something that I found incredibly exciting. Yeah. And then even, you know, all the way down to the school board, we have a, a progressive slate of three really wonderful educators who are really passionate and ready to make a difference that I've actually gotten to campaign with. We've been doing joint canvassing where we send our, our people out with lit for the three school board candidates and myself. And every weekend we've been out knocking on doors and talking about why people should vote for school board and city clerk. That's awesome. Yeah. The, these alliances were not difficult things to achieve. It just took a level of mutual respect yep. and being willing to have the conversation. Um, but you'd asked about policy <laughs> and I do have one more policy, um, point that I'm, I'm really trying to make a centerpiece of the campaign yep. and that is ranked choice voting. You know, in, in Illinois, the city clerk is considered the local election authority. And my understanding is that in Illinois, the city clerk can approach the city council and inform them officially that they are capable of administering an election via an alternative method. The city council can then take that issue up directly from the city clerk and vote to approve a transition to that voting method. So my, my goal is to have ranked choice voting implemented for all municipal elections such that we can have our 2023 municipal already on it. I know it's a it's a fairly quick time frame to to come around. You know, we're looking at about 22 months from taking office to getting up to speed, getting it passed and getting it implemented. But I think it can be done. You know, I think it's a really important thing that we democratize our democracy. Yes, absolutely. And there's two big points I think there. There's one that you had already made that uh, you know, th change happens from the bottom up getting folks used to ranked choice voting at the municipal level before it runs into a state or a national level uh, race is a great way for folks to learn about ranked choice voting, uh, see how it does and, and whether or not they um, prefer that voting method to others. Uh, and also, you know, with municipal elections, as you kind of said earlier, we kind of alluded to it, never directly said it, but typically those uh, folks voting are well-informed voters. They're, they're, folks that do want to vote in local elections because they do want to make sure that they are seeing uh, the most impact uh, to their, to their vote, I guess, you know, they're, oh, yeah. they're willing to go and do the research on different people. And I, I feel like that's a good group to start with to then help, you know, once someone knows what ranked choice voting is and, you know, they meet someone in the grocery store and they're like, Oh, have you heard about this ranked choice voting thing? That's going to be in the state level elections next year. And you, they'll say, Oh, we've been doing this for municipal elections. It's great. This is how, you know, you, you Absolutely. build advocacy, with just the voters that voted in that last election. Absolutely. And I, I think that's going to be so important. You know, we've got um, a chapter of Fair Vote Illinois yep. that is working to push ranked choice here across the state. And one of the things that I'm actually most excited for with the potential of becoming an elected official is 
that I will be able to advocate for them and their cause as, you know, a, a representative. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll be very excited to hopefully get down to Springfield and testify to our state legislature about how this is something that people are already successfully implementing at the municipal level. And this is how well it's working. So I, I have a lot of, a lot of hope for how we can drive that to not just be something that happens here in DeKalb, but something that spreads out and goes wide. Yeah. You know, I actually was yeah. canvassing uh, last weekend and I told a voter that ranked choice was one of my primary objectives. And the first thing she said was, Oh, that would be amazing. I moved here from Maine about uh, 10 months ago. And so I just missed the chance to do it in Maine for the first time. But if we could have it here, that would be great. And I said, well, I'm going to try and bring a little bit of Maine over here to DeKalb. That's beautiful. I grew up in Maine. I love uh, Maine. My family and my wife's family both are still in Maine. Uh, oh, it's and beautiful. They- yeah, they like ranked choice voting. Uh, a lot of my friends, because I went to high school there, and a lot of friends, you know, stayed local and stuff. And I've talked to a lot of them, and they, I haven't heard one bad thing about ranked choice voting. They feel like yeah. they've got a bigger voice. They feel like they've got uh, a better ability to um, not worry about, you know, the spoiler effect or whatever, you know, yes. throwing away their vote or anything like that. They feel so much better about voting for, uh, say, like a progressive candidate. Uh, over you know some of the uh, races that have three ra- three people running uh, like their senate race last year yeah 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 exactly yeah and there's there's a lot of uh ability to to you know again rank your choices and i mean it's it's right into the yeah. the, the name and if and even to campaign know, on that um that? the and even to campaign on that you know the uh the left i don't remember if she was a green party or an independent but the the really left main senate candidate actually campaigned on fill me in first and please put Sarah Gideon in for your second bubble because we're showing how ranked choice works and we're still trying to make sure that a at least left-ish candidate gets selected. And so it gives us something to run somewhat of a coalition on. Yeah. Or we can support, you know, our our second choice without looking like we're prepared to lose. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, And being able to say, you know, Hey, especially in municipal races. I mean, I know uh, some of the larger race, and this was a larger race for sure, but some of the really, you know, uh, big contested races are between uh, uh, folks that are, you know, highly contested amongst them. But in local elections where, like you were saying in this last uh, election that you had run, you know, very friendly. And this is a two person, but say it's like a three, four person race. If you two are, are very comfortable with either of you winning and, and doing a good job, but you're really worried about the other folks that are running and, you know, some of the big yeah. changes that they want you could easily form a coalition and say, Hey, put one of us on first, but put the other one of us on second, uh, because we feel like, uh, we're going to bring this kind of change to this, uh, city or town or whatever. And these folks are not, you know, you can, you can really just help build those bridges even more. It almost encourages that bridge building. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say, it was really amazing last year to run such a positive race because this year's municipals have been getting just a little bit petty. Yeah. Um, which is really unfortunate. You know, I, I like to talk about the issues. I like to talk about what I'd like to do for the city. Yep. Um, I don't like to have to, you know, discuss things that really are in no way germane to becoming city clerk. There was a, there was a comment I'd made in a, in a private group about, um, I made a joke. I, 
the guy I steal Netflix from lives in the same apartment as me. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I share Netflix with my roommate, as probably do millions of Americans. Absolutely. And and yet somebody had the idea that um, screenshotting that and throwing it up in neighborhood Facebook groups would be a, a good political attack. Jeez. Yeah, and it's just it's just a level of, of pettiness that I think is really unfortunate. Yeah. I I have not spoken negatively about my opponent to anyone. You yeah. know, I think that she is running because she would like to be city clerk, and I do feel that I would do a better job and maintain a, a larger degree of independence. Yeah. You know, she she is a staffer within the city manager's office. So I think for the sake of having that independent backstop on the on the city manager's office, it's going to be important to have somebody who's not staffing in that. But yep. I haven't even really talked about that on the campaign trail. I'm really trying to focus on the issues and the things that are going to matter to the people that live here. So, yeah, and that's I, great. And yeah. it's 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 wonderful to see folks, you know. Uh, that want that especially running locally that want to run you know good clean races that are talking about the issues and talking about the positions and I feel like that especially in municipal races that's really the way it should be run. I mean, at the end of the Absolutely. day, you might run into this person at the grocery store or whatever you know wherever you you all live and it's yeah it's it's definitely best to uh, to keep in a, a very positive uh, direction. I wanted to shout out real quick, uh, Danny Lewis and and Caitlin Cloven are both in the comments. Uh, they are, uh, I'm going to actually uh, show this one up. I have uh, not done this, so let's see how it goes. Uh, so oh. I have put the uh, SashaFordDeKalb.com, it's the uh, number four, um, uh, into the comments. And Caitlin Cloven has mentioned that if we raise 500 tonight, the final get out the vote push uh, in disadvantaged communities will be uh, the beneficiary of that. So if folks can who are listening uh, chip in, you know, uh, any little amount is is huge. You know, municipal races uh, really run off of uh, kind of nickel and dime budgets. And, and it's it's really, really important uh, to uh, make sure that the Calb has. I, I think a, a huge point is having an independent backstop like you just mentioned is such a I think, you know, city clerks, county clerks and uh, auditors, things like that. Having an independent voice in those positions is so, so important. And I feel like it's just something that uh, we can offer as a third party early on before we're, you know, fully entrenched in the, uh, the, the each, you know, city, county and state uh, boards and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think, huh. we got you. yeah, it, it uh, just stuttered there for a second, but I think we got you back. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think uh, I had one more thing that I had. Uh, we had talked a tiny bit about uh, in yeah. the past, and uh, I, I it, it interests me a ton because I've seen this uh, town to town where I live. Uh, there is different uh, regulations on this. Backyard chickens. Sure. So this has been, oddly enough, one of the most contentious issues in the city for almost a decade now. It first came up about eight years ago, and the city council basically told everyone who wanted it to jump out a window and ignored them completely. And uh, they've sort of been trying to ignore it ever since. Um, but finally, an, a push came about last year once again. Yep. And we organized with Sunrise DeKalb, with some other folks who were you know, really passionate about this, with some of the Democratic Socialists of America people, and 
from there, we were able to get an overwhelming turnout and flood of letters and people speaking at a city council meeting, which finally pushed them to agree to put it on the ballot as an advisory referendum. That was the best we could get out of them, an yeah, advisory I mean, referendum, um, which is fine. You know, we're, we're hoping to make sure that it passes. And when it passes, we are going to work to hold them accountable to actually implement the thing that was passed. But the issue itself is a really strange one because there is a strong argument for chickens from the right. There's the, the most basic right argument. Property rights yep. are your natural rights and inviolable. If you own your home, you own your lands, you should be able to utilize that lands, that property to generate things for yourself as you wish. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very simple argument that I don't really see how any right-leaning capitalist could naturally oppose. And from the left, there's very important issues of things like food insecurity and food deserts. You know, over yep. the course of the last year and a half, as the as the pandemic has started and then gotten staggeringly worse and driven unemployment up so so much, there are a lot of people that are in need of food. I mean, the the lines at food banks have been miles long in communities. Yeah. And you know, to top it off, the section of DeKalb that's most underserved is a food desert. There is not a grocery store by me. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky enough to be blessed with a vehicle and reliable transportation. Yep. But a lot of the people that live where I live don't have that ability. And so providing people with an easy, legal way to raise chickens and get farm, you know, truly fresh eggs. Right. I don't know if you've ever had a, a backyard chicken egg, but the lack of hormones and cruelty and everything else just makes them taste so much better. Um, yeah, my father-in-law raised chickens, and uh, we have we actually have uh, the way that they uh, kind of do the referendums around here. They call the uh, town; they actually call it a right to farm town. On the signs going into towns in and out of Massachusetts, you'll see this is a right to farm community. Um, wow. Yeah, it's there's there was a big push uh, some number of years ago to do this in different towns in our area. So yeah, I'm I'm fully supportive of this. I think this. I mean, it, it seems like a, a no brainer for most people. I, I can't imagine a big uh, um, you know, there's there's a small, probably NIMBY crowd that uh, doesn't want uh, some roosters. Oh, you, uh, oh boy, you should you should hear it first. <laughs> we've got um the Realtors Association sending representatives to council meetings to talk about how it's going to destroy property values, and then we've got a some local professor who's being brought in to talk about how it'll spread disease, and then. We've got your standard conjure of NIMBYs yelling, but what are they going to have next? Backyard goats? And, <laughs> and you know, for someone that lived near goats and stuff, that, that's wonderful because you can actually rent them or borrow them from neighbors if you're kind to those neighbors and they'll eat all the poison ivy on your property without yeah. it being, there's no issue. They're wonderful. And keep your, and keep your grass in check. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm, not exactly uh, ready to start locally pushing for backyard goats. But at the same time, you know, when they say that, I go, first off, nobody is saying we're going to get backyard goats. And right. second, even if they were, they'd have a better point than you currently have. Right. So you know, I, I think that we're on track to hopefully pass at this time. 
And then it's going to be making sure that that gets implemented. You know, a, a ballot referendum, even an advisory one, is supposed to be a direct message from the voters that this is what we want, this is right. what we believe in, and we have had a chance to vote on it as a city. And if the 3,000 some odd people who turn out to vote next week vote yes on it, I fail to see how it could ever be morally proper for the seven people in our city council to overrule that will. Right. No, I, I'm with you there. And that's, uh, that's something, you know, I, I've seen it with um, other, you know, trying to get money out of politics and things like that. Things over, try to be overturned in, in those cities. And they make a lot of uh, national headlines, which can sometimes, you know, again, turn the tide of public opinion and fix this. But uh no, so we've been uh, we've been talking for over fifty minutes. Uh, I, I this goes very quickly because you know we you and I uh, like to talk about this stuff when we're just on a Zoom together. So oh yeah, um, I want to give you a chance to kind of give a last shout out before I do. I I just saw Danny Lewis uh, in the comments uh, looking for volunteers to canvas for Sasha this weekend. So if any folks are in the DeKalb area in Illinois. Uh, please, you can reach out in the comments to me. You can go to uh, the website I posted. You can go to Sasha for DeKalb uh, on Facebook, any of those places. If you just come to me and ask me, I will direct you immediately to Sasha and I will get you in contact. Uh, so uh, first off, I want to say that. And then nextly, I want to give you kind of an opportunity to, to say anything you'd like uh, in, uh, you know, as a thank you to coming on the show and, and talking. Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess I'd like to close with, you know, this is a uncontested race. There's, there's a right and opponent, but I'm going to be the only person on the ballot. And I know most people, when they hear that, they think, oh, he's going to win. Okay, I can tune out and not do anything to help. And normally that is true. But what I'm running on here is a platform of truly radical transparency and accountability. And that scares the people who have things in you know, the back rooms. And so they've been really pushing hard to try and make sure this position doesn't go to me. And I think it's important that we utilize this as a time to show that we believe in radical transparency. We believe in radical accountability. And we believe in a government that if it exists at all, exists in service of the people that it represents, not in service of the folks who sit in the back room of the country club and make deals about where our money is going. And so if you're able to help financially, you know, $20 will run a Facebook ad campaign that reaches three or 400 people in town. $100 will run a massive ad blitz. It is absolutely incredible how far just a little bit of funding can go in a race like this. So if you have the ability to come out here and wave a sign on election day on Tuesday. You know, I've been told that I've got volunteers coming from as far away as Tennessee to <laughs> wave a sign on election day. Um, if you can get here to do that, if you're free on the weekend and want to go knock on some doors, or if you're somewhere else in the country and you want to phone bank through some volunteers, we can set you up for that. Just a little bit of help goes so far here you know when, when we think about winning elections we think about these big national elections where there's 200 million people that are going to vote and we couldn't get to all of them if we tried but when we're talking about an election like this the little hour of your time that you give can have a game-changing effect 
Yeah. No, I couldn't say it better myself. You know, as you had said, if we have a government set up, it must work for the people in it. And it really has to be uh, something that is uh, has some level of transparency. I mean, it's it's um, a shame that we see, you know, a lot of these things happen and, and just the community has to deal with it kind of at the end of the day. Poor policy or poor laws that are put in place. And um, yeah, I, I'm excited about your race. I'm excited to uh, support you. And uh, I, I hope, you know, if, like I said, if anyone's out there who can donate time, uh, uh, money or, or, you know, even just uh, physically going out there and waving a sign on election day, uh, please reach out to myself uh, or Sasha, if you can, um, I will direct you immediately to Sasha and get you in, in contact with him. So uh, thanks again. This was wonderful. Uh, I'd love to have you on again. And uh yeah, I'll, I hope you have a wonderful night. You as well. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, Sasha. So Sasha Cohen for DeKalb City uh, City Clerk. Um, that's, uh, again, I, I think, um, you know, city clerks, uh, county clerks, and auditors, there's not a better race for uh, any sort of independent third-party uh, candidates to run for. Uh, it really allows for some checks and balances and some transparency, again, in, in uh, local government. And again, these local races are so important to everyday lives. And they're so, you know, your uh, small amount of time, money, effort can have such a huge impact on the actual race. So if anyone out there is uh, willing or able to do so, uh, please reach out again to myself. Uh, I will uh, get you contacted with uh, Sasha and the, the campaign team. So um, I hope you all enjoyed uh, this week. Uh, next week, we have Caitlin Cloven, uh, who's in the comments here. Uh, we're, we're talking to her about all sorts of different stuff. She's a marketing and communications genius. Uh, she's been working with Stacey Pressman, Sasha Cohen, Spike Cohen, Vermin Supreme, all sorts of folks. Uh, she's one of my best friends and uh, just an incredible messenger um, in uh, third party politics, Libertarian Party, uh, but also she's formed coalitions with uh, Greens and other folks as well. I can't wait to, to talk with her. Um, about a bunch of different stuff. So look forward to that uh, next Thursday, same time, same place. And thank you all for uh, coming on and, and listening and supporting us. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Post Political Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.